0: Again, grateful that you're here this morning. Uh, What a blessing it is to worship with y'all. And and I want to just do say real quick, last week we asked for people to, uh, uh, at our combined worship with the First Christian, to to donate to buy some windows, and that got taken care of very quickly, plus a little bit. And so if you're a part of that, thank you. You're going to be able to provide uh, brand new windows for a trailer house here in town, and then the extra is going to go towards some other Go projects that are around the corner. So thank you so much for that. Uh, great, great thing that's happening there. So last week I was on Twitter. Uh, yeah, I still like to do doom scrolling on Twitter, go into that black hole of despair that is Twitter. If you don't know what that is, it's a social media platform. But I was on there and I ran across this tweet that that completely stopped me in my tracks. Twitter just has 280 characters. That's all you can type in. But in 280 words or 280 letters or less, I got chills. And I kept getting chills. And throughout the week, I've gone back to this tweet over and over again. It was this tweet by a lady named Jennifer Major. And Jennifer was responding to somebody else's tweet. And she was responding to tell a story about her father-in-law who had recently passed away. A little bit of the background there was that the tweet that she was responding to was by uh, the author and speaker, Beth Moore. Queen Beth, who is awesome. And Beth Moore was talking about how she still believes in Jesus. And one of the reasons she still believes in Jesus is that she still sees the light piercing the darkness. And so people in response to that tweet were going down and saying, here's why I still believe. And so Jennifer Major, her tweet stopped me dead. Because she began to tell... About why she believes in connection to her father in law who lived to the age of 99. Here's her father in law. This was when he was 97 and his wife was 87 and they were on their anniversary boating trip. I don't know where it is, they live in Canada somewhere. I'll never forget, I'll never uh, get to meet Jennifer Major, but I do know this about her. She has a strong belief in God because of her father-in-law, who was a lifelong follower of Jesus, kind and wise and full of gentleness and the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. And she said this in her tweet. This is what got me. She said, I will never doubt God because my father-in-law, who is deaf deaf, his entire life for 99 years. From birth to almost a century, he didn't hear anything. He never heard his wife's voice. He never heard his kids' laughter. He never heard the joy of a newborn baby. But as he passed from this world to the next... As he was lying in his hospital bed with the family surrounding him, he spoke seven final words. And for Jennifer Major, she says her faith will never be shaken because of four of those words. Her father-in-law, who had never heard a word or a sound, said out loud, I can now And he passed into the arms of the Father. A man who for 99 years didn't hear a sound, the first sound, Jennifer Major says, was her father in law that he ever heard, was the sound of heaven and the Father saying, Well done, good and faithful servant. I can now hear. This is the kind of ears I think we continually need to have. Ears open to the voice of the Father. Ears open to what he is directing us to do in his will, and his life. And today I want to ask you to have those ears as we get started. Ears that are not shut off to the Holy Spirit, ears that are not shut off to the will of God, but ears that say, I'm ready for a refresh, a restart, a spark, a holy flame, a new wind to blow through me. We're going to start something today that I'm going to preach on the next three times I preach on refresh, shifts that I believe this church needs to make, shifts that I believe that Scripture tells us to continue to make so that we can be the type of church that God wants and desires. Because the future of our church is bright, but it's not bright because we somehow get church formulas right or that we bring all these elements together and the singing is right and the people are right and the programs are right. Church is only ever what it should be when we give ears to the Holy Spirit when we give our hearts to the holy spirit because when we try to trust in the things that we can do we still don't hear so i want to pray this morning and i want to pray a prayer that only can come and can only be answered by the power of god because a prayer to ask god to give us fresh ears to give us fresh hearts and to move in us, because today we're going to start a journey of three weeks to talk about three shifts for the future of this church. And we're going to begin with the shift, we got to move from belief into behavior. So grab a hand of somebody next to you and let's pray. Lord, we humble ourselves and we ask that you do what only you can do. That you move in this place. That you open our ears. That you blow your Holy Spirit. is wind and fire back into our lives. And God, that we will let you move. Let us realize what is already true, what is already right, what is already real. That heaven has invaded earth through your son, Jesus, and everything can change. Father, bless us now. All I can pray, God, is that I will get out of your way. That you will speak in a powerful way to wherever someone is where everyone is today. Only you have that wisdom and ability. God, we just want to let you do it. In the name of our Savior, we pray. Amen. So grab your Bibles and, or your device and go to John chapter 4. Big John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Fourth book in your New Testament. If you're using one of our Bibles from the back there, it's on page 726. Uh, if you took one of the Bibles out of our, our, our Bible rack back there. Now when we get to chapter 4 of John, just a little bit of background. What you have is you have Jesus revealing who he is. He started that in chapter 2 with the first uh, miracle, the wedding at the Cana of Galilee, where he turns water to wine, and now his name is getting out there. And John is structured in order to say, this guy is the dude. This is Jesus, and he is the I am. And he's going to get bigger and bigger, and he's going to make greater claims about himself. But in chapter 4, along the way and on this journey, after he's had this great conversation with Nicodemus, he now goes to an unlikely detour destination out of the way. He ends up in a place that we all know or have heard about. But if you haven't, it's Samaria. And Samaria is not anywhere where a Jewish man should be. In fact, they took a road around it. But Jesus and his disciples end up in John 4 on purpose in a town called Sychar, smack dab in the middle of Samaria. And the reason Jews weren't supposed to go there was numerous. Jews and Samaritans did not get along. They both had some things in common. They have a common ancestry, and they both worshiped Yahweh, the God of Israel. But that's where their commonalities ceased. It's where It stopped. What they also had in common was mutual disdain, mutual hatred, bloodshed and violence. They, uh, uh, Samaritans argued that you should worship on Mount Gerizim. The Jews argued you should, mount, uh, you should worship on Mount Moriah in Jerusalem. And back and forth they went. They have two different upbringings. But Jesus here goes to Sikhar on purposes, and he sits down by a well outside of town on purpose. He sends his disciples in to get supplies at the Teuton Totem, and then we pick it up in chapter 7. You were paying attention. All right. Verse, chapter 4, verse 7. Let's look at this from the aspect of a Samaritan woman and what Jesus does with her. It says, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Party file number one. Not supposed to talk to her, right? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman is going to call him out on this. She says to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? And the narrator gives us this, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans, which is an understatement of all understatements. Jesus answered her, if you knew If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So Jesus ups the ante. And the woman in response to this says, Sir, you have, she's kind of thinking, she's like, what, who is this guy? Right? So she kind of calls him out she's like, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? That's the key question. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Now, I said before, Jews and Samaritans didn't get along, but it went beyond their history. It actually got into the Jewish law. Jews had laws prohibiting interaction with Samaritans. Jesus wasn't supposed to interact much less with a a Samaritan man, but here he is interacting with a Samaritan woman. Much less was he supposed to ask her for a drink. It was considered to be an unclean move to pick up a water jar that was from Samaria, or to much less also drink from such a vessel. So this, as I said, as we read it, is a huge party foul. But that is the exact point. See, what Jesus is doing here, and this is where I want you to see, is he's shifting belief into behavior, and he's doing it through challenge, challenging her with what she thinks she believes. With all the differences they had, Jews and Samaritans, they still had something in common. They believed in God, and you'll find out later in the text, if you read John 4, that she even is awaiting a Messiah. She knows about the Jewish Messiah that's to come. But Jesus is challenging her to take her further, which brings us to the first point. If we're going to shift from belief to behavior, we have to allow ourselves to be challenged by Jesus. It starts with allowing ourselves to go, okay, Jesus, I've always assumed this, but I now... I'm letting myself be moved into a new place. Think about it. If all you do is believe in Jesus, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but that faith is static for one or two or 10 or 30 or 40 years or 60 years, are you really a person who follows the will of God? I'll let you answer that on your own. Has your belief made any difference on who you are? See, that's why I love being in Rooted. Told you I was going to talk about it later. We're starting that off September 8th, side commercial. What I've seen in Rooted and what I've witnessed from other people being in our 10 week discipleship pathway that we call Rooted, that we do on Wednesday nights starting September 8th, um, is I see people. Studying scripture together, talking together, sharing together, and out of that, they're being challenged by Jesus. And what happens? Their beliefs begin to shift into behavior. Now, without naming names, in my initial group that I was in, my rooted group, I saw people shift from I've never prayed out loud to praying out loud weekly with each other. What was happening? Belief Did that person before believe that we ought to be prayerful people? Yeah, but their behavior, because they were being challenged, was starting to change. I saw people move from, I can't tell my story, I don't want you to know about the ugliness of my past, into, here's what God has done. Belief was shifting into behavior, and it happens when we allow Jesus to challenge us and change us. See, that's what a refresh is. It's that starting over. It's hitting the refresh button on our browser when it gets stuck. When our spiritual life gets stuck, a new start begins with us saying, where am I stuck? And where can I see Jesus taking me to? What can he do next? Jesus is challenging this woman with what she believes so that she can be turned into somebody who behaves differently. You'll see that here in a minute. So I want to ask you this. Before we move into the next section of Scripture, when was, when was the last time you let the words of Jesus move beyond the page and into your habits and into your speech? And into ear interaction and your behaviors with your neighbors and your coworkers. Have you let Jesus challenge you lately? I love what Shane Claiborne said in his book um, uh, the, uh, the Irresistible Revolution, one of my favorite books that came out 20-something years ago. But he said, if we really read Jesus, Jesus will mess you up. Amen. Right, guys? Jesus ought to mess you up. In other words, he ought to challenge you. And I'm not saying mess you up in a bad way, I'm talking about mess us up in a good way. Let's keep going in John 4. Picking it up in verse 13. So she's asking him questions Where are you going to get this water? He's just challenged her, saying, I've got living water. And she says, Are you greater than Jacob? And he's going to show her that he is. He's challenging her beliefs. And here's how he answers. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Talking about that well at Sychar. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. So the woman said to him, in response, sir, give me this water. She wants the water. She's still thinking a little bit, not getting the metaphor, but here's what she says. So that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So let's just pause for a second. Maybe, maybe this is, maybe we just need to do this for a second. If you're sitting here and you're hearing this and getting into John 4, you're online with us this morning. Maybe you couldn't make it or maybe you're online with us every week. Maybe you're wondering, why would God have to do anything with me? Why would God want to challenge me? Why would Jesus want to move me beyond where I am? Maybe you've wondered that question for a long time. Why would God want to use sinful me, or little old me, or stuck old me, or backwards me? Then if if you're there, and we all are at some points, this story is for you. Because this woman is going, you have living water? I want it. But I'm not sure why you would give it to me. Because you need to ask yourself this morning, is God interested in you? Does God have a plan for you? Is God pursuing you this morning? Do you know the answer to that? The answer is a resounding yes. You better bet your bottom dollar that he is pursuing us with all that he is to give us his best because he already has given his best. So what his answer to this question is, is what? She wants the water. But the answer to the question is whoever takes this water. It's not... Whoever's best can have this water, or whoever gets away with the most Christian-like look on a Sunday morning, or whoever attends church the most, they get the water. It's what? Who's the invitation to the living water too? Everybody. It's whoever. Whoever asks for it, whoever wants it, whoever goes to seek it out, they can have it. Now, this is where I'm going with this. Don't miss this, guys. Church family, this is all a gift. Everything we do is a gift. We forget that. We argue over the gift. We fight over the gift. We split over the gift. We won't come around because of the gift. We skip church because we forget it's a gift. We miss that this is a gift. Jesus doesn't tell us or the woman, get cleaned up, then come to me. He doesn't tell the woman, get your life in order. Yeah, I know about your five husbands. I know about the guy you're living with right now, which is later on in the text. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, work really hard at looking right, meet these requirements, pass the Christian test, then come back to me. Not at all, because that's not a gift. What he has is a gift, and it's whoever, whenever, however. He wants to get it into our hands. And that is how Jesus changes lives all the times. But sometimes, and not always, but sometimes, our biggest obstacle to the gift of Jesus being wrapped in our life is our own belief that God doesn't want to use us or that the gift isn't enough for me or that the gift is stuck church dogma. Look at this passage out of Jeremiah. We'll bring this all around with this. This is page 516. Jeremiah 2.13. Jeremiah basically starts with this. There's some introductory stuff, and then Jeremiah says, through the word of the Lord, God speaks to him, and he says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that can't hold water water. They have rancid water. See, the woman, she's going to a well and she thinks that's where the water is. But what she really is, what the reality about her is, is she's stuck. She needs a refresher. And man, we can get that way. Sometimes even our own beliefs about what God represents cisterns and old habits that idea that God can't use me or God isn't like that or God won't forgive him or forgive her or do that or repair this. God still can't do miracles. That's what we say. Those are cisterns of belief that we've carved out on our own. They're self-made beliefs, self-righteous thoughts that we carve out and they stick with us and we need a refresher, living water. Here is the grand cistern at Masada, north of Jerusalem. Great picture. I don't know how you've ever thought about a cistern. Cisterns, I always thought, were like the size of this stage or, or maybe an above-ground pool. And you dug that out, you know, and that and your, the water filled that and you went and got water out of that in a dry land. Cisterns are used in dry areas, they're still used in Colorado and New Mexico and the mountains and places like that to store water. This one is in a fortress, and this room would fit in that cistern. You see the little people up there? <laughs> Can y'all see that? This is a huge cistern. It would provide water for thousands of people, probably for several years. But the water wouldn't be fresh. It wouldn't be life-giving. Who wants to drink out of something that's been sitting there forever? I made the mistake the other day of coming in for lunch, and there was a Joe's cup sitting there. We have all these Joe's, Eskimo Joe's plastic cups, because we used to live in Stillwater, and you have thousands of those if you ever live in Stillwater, and we had one sitting there, and I thought it was the water that I already prepared that morning, and I picked it up and drank that water, and it had been sitting there, and it wasn't mine for days. You ever done that? That wasn't a cistern, necessarily. It was a miniature cistern, and it was gross. Lots of bacteria. That's probably why I got a stomach bug last week. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. But we don't want that kind of water. But that, that's what we do. This is what Jeremiah is getting at. He's saying, God has offered you living water. This is what Jesus is offering the woman. Now, hang with me on this. This is what we get to. The gospel, church family, is scandalous. It is a scandal because it declares to us that when we have... Pitch, uh, hammer, and chisel, and a mattox in hand, and we're chiseling out our own way of life, and we're digging our own cistern and saying, This is how I sustain. Jesus comes to us and he says, Put it down. Stop. Put it down. Drop that thing. I have something better for you. When we're working our own life, trying to find success and happiness with money and sex and work and habits and violence and addiction and accolades and entertainment, Jesus comes to our cistern and goes, that is stagnant, stale water. And he says, put it down. And we say, but right now, don't I need to earn it first? And he goes, no, put it down but Jesus, aren't, aren't I your enemy? Don't you know what I've done? And he says, put it down. He says, don't I need, we say, don't I need to get better? Don't I need to get some things right? And Jesus says, put it down. Don't I need more Bible answers? Put it down. See, belief shifts to behavior not only when we allow Jesus to challenge us. Belief shifts to behavior when we fall into and upon the mercy of Jesus. It's all a gift. Living water is there for you. The gift is presented through Jesus. You just have to take it. And when we begin to see the enormity of that gift, then we become the Christians God wants us to be. Where we're not afraid of our behaviors, but we live into the life of Jesus and behave like Jesus because I'm no longer drinking from my own cistern. I'm drinking from something else, the living water of Jesus. Y'all with me, church family? Some of our cisterns are this big because we've been digging a long you want a new behavior, you want a refresh, shift in your life, put it down. Let's keep going. Let's pick it up in verse 27. So something happens in between where we left off in verse 16 and 27. Jesus challenges her. He declares to him, her, I am the Messiah. She, she has this great uh, realization. And then the disciples show back up. Here's what happens. Then his disciples returned. And they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. Yes, remember what we said about Samaritans and Jews. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and they made their way toward him. Now I skipped a bunch of stuff. But here's what Jesus has done. She had a belief in God. She had a belief in a coming Messiah. But by the end of the chapter, when you start getting towards the end of verse 27 and 30, her belief has shifted into behavior. What's she doing now? She has become a missionary. Belief shifts to behavior when we take the first step. This woman takes the first step. The woman who's had five husbands, that's the part we skipped, and she's living with another man. We don't know that story. It could have been all five that died. It could have been that she's been divorced five times. It could have been that she has lived a rough, horrible life. We don't know. There's got to be a reason, though, why she's coming with her water jar in the heat of the day out to get water when no one else is around. She even says to Jesus, Give me this water so I don't have to come out here. She's like, I am tired of going to social places and social spaces. She wants a change. But when she's changed, her behavior changes. At first, Jesus was a man. Then he became a teacher. Then he became a prophet. And then she realized he was the Messiah, and her behavior changed. Now notice something with me. All it took was one step. But I want you to ask, how much about Jesus does this woman really know? Nothing, right? If she got a 10-point pop quiz from uh, Jesus on how much does she know, how much theology does she know, maybe the disciples showed up and were like, hey, you want to hang around us? We've got to give you this little pop quiz. How's she going to do? Maybe get one out of ten. Is Jesus the Messiah? I think so. (laughs) Right? She knows nothing. Yet she goes back and she's the first missionary to Samaria. In your Bible. She's the first missionary or the second missionary in the Gospel of John out of everybody. Philip's the first. But her message is the same as Philip's. Come and see. She goes back and she shares. Come and see. The first step. Her belief has now become a behavior. Now let's apply that here. How many of us don't follow God's will? Lean in with me here. How many of us Don't follow God's will because we believe that God won't use us. Or more likely, we believe we don't know enough. Or we believe we don't know what to say. Or that I can't have a good answer. Or that I can't speak out. Or I don't want to be stumped. Or people will judge me. That's all of us, right? If that's any of us, let's not miss this example this morning. This woman knows nothing, but she knows enough. She knows nothing, but she knows enough. In other words, don't let what you don't know keep you from sharing what you do know. Right? Amen, church? Good. Grief, wake up, people. Let's go. Y'all are watching everybody walk out of here. Let's go. This is Jesus, guys. Don't let what you don't know keep you from sharing what you do know. Belief shifts to behavior when we take that first step. The only way a follower of Jesus can fail, I'm going to tell you this, the only way, this comes from Tim Keller, the only way that a believer of Jesus can fail by sharing their faith or sharing the life of Jesus with somebody else is By hiding what is in their heart. Hiding what's already true about them. Hiding who they already are. If Jesus, as we believe, lives in us, then he should be seen. And Tim Keller then says it this way. The only reason a follower of Jesus doesn't show the world who Jesus is, is because we hide who we are. Not because we have the answers. Or not because we have the perfect Way of sharing our faith or living out our faith, we shift and we refresh when we simply learn to say, "Come and see." Come and see a man who's done everything for you. Why do you read your Bible? Come and see, because it's awesome. Why do you go to worship? Come and see. Why do you open up about your sins so much? Why are you not afraid to tell people how you mess up? Come and see, right? That's how behavior grows out of belief. Keller goes on to say if there's only one real reason that Jesus' followers don't share the Savior, they follow. And he says it in one sentence He is simply not central to our hearts. I'll let Keller drop that bomb and not me. He's simply not central to our hearts. So may we be a church where we don't just hold our beliefs in some cavernous cistern slash church building. (laughs) Uh Ha (laughs) ha. And we come in here and we drink from it. And it's kind of stagnant. You know why your faith gets stagnant? It's not the preaching. It's not. If you're on fire for God, you could listen to the worst preacher in the world. And you may be doing that today. You could listen to the worst preacher in the world and you'd go, let's go. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's moving. Right? Right? So let's move. That's what happens. So may we become a church where we don't just hold beliefs in a cavernous cistern or a stagnant building, but we live a life of behaviors that look exactly like Jesus. Where our beliefs make a difference on Monday and the rest of the week. So today I finished with this. What beliefs about your relationship with God, or what beliefs about God do you hold that have not yet informed your behavior, that they haven't become behavior? Everybody in here would say, yeah, the Bible's important. Has that informed your behavior? Do you read it? Do you chew on it? Do you live into it? Everybody in here would say, I, I know prayer is important. It's a belief. I I believe God answers prayer. Our least attended events are prayers. Guys, our least attended events as a church are prayer meetings. Why? Because our beliefs don't match our behavior. We all believe second greatest command is to treat our neighbor, love our neighbor as ourself. When's the last time you walked across the street or called that neighbor or took care of somebody and said, I'm here for you? Does your behaviors match what you say you believe? Or how how about we all in here say, man, God wants to use us. Do you believe God wants to use you? And have you allowed that behavior to become part of your life? Imagine a church that breaks the 80-20 rule. Y'all know the 80-20 rule? 20% of the people do the work of 80% of the church, right? Imagine if the Canadian Church of Christ decides we're going to break that. We're going to become the exception to the norm. We're going to be the 100% church where everybody in here is active in a ministry. How about it? Let's do it. Yes, let's do it. Why not? Well, I just want to sit on a pew why? (laughs) It's boring, right? Jesus got something for you. It's incredible. We don't even have pews. Thank you, Barry. You can't sit on a pew in here. You're sitting on a chair. That's right. Thank you, Barry. (laughs) Nice. Sorry. That's my, sorry. Appreciate that. I don't even know how I'm going to finish now. All right. And finally, maybe this, let me wrap up with this. You're sitting there this morning and you know God forgives sins. You know he's a God of redemption. You know he's a God of a fresh start. You know he's the God who will start over with anybody, but yet you haven't let him do that in your life. And you're saying, I don't know enough. What do you need? You believe Jesus is the Messiah. You believe that he's the only way to live life. If that answer is yes, you're ready to get in that water and start fresh. Because redemption is not limited by our past or our present. Redemption is not limited by what we've done or who we once were or even who we are. Redemption is the unlimited invitation to drink living water. Come and see. Let's stand together and sing. If you need anything this morning, we're up here. If you're ready to get baptized, let's do it. Uh, Elders are in the back. If you need prayers with our elders, they'll be out here. We've got three three elders each week that will be out in the back. Please go see them, and let's share together in Jesus. Let's sing out.